Hello, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. It's late August and I'm out with Jason Owen from Patheli for the day aboard his Evolution 38 half alid drifting for mackerel and hopefully some launch off Sillen Head before motoring down to Bardsey to see if we can tempt a few pollock bass. The wind yesterday was particularly strong from the northwest. Thankfully, that's been easing away overnight and is forecast to drop even further and become more northerly in direction. So in terms of what we might find once we leave the shelter of the land beyond the Lynn is anybody's guess, leaving us totally at the mercy of the weather forecasters who we trust have done a good job. Fortunately, on a forecast with the wind coming from any sort of a northerly direction, this whole area has a great deal to offer in terms of shelter and inshore fishing. But the plan is to keep that in the bank as a backup and try to get out around Bardsey off the very end of the Lynn which can be a particularly nasty piece of water in anything but ideal conditions. Fortunately for us, the weather looks like shaping up to make a very pleasant day, and unless there is a lot of residual swell once we leave the shelter of the land, it certainly looks like being game on. In that respect, Patheli is a very fortunate and potentially very diverse fishing venue. So I'm going to kick things off here by asking Jason to give us an overview of just exactly what the visiting angler can expect in terms of variety over a typical year. From the start of the season really you've got um, just general fishing in the bay for um, dabs and whiting and that. That's sort of through the winter months mostly up until about March time when you get a few uh, bullhus coming in to lay their eggs and stuff. So through the month of March and April you get quite good numbers of big size bullhus and then uh, from May onwards you get the taupe coming in basically through the month of May and June they're here in quite big numbers and then you get the bream turning up around about June time as well. I know from our conversations on the way out and from past experience of fishing gear on quite a number of occasions over the years that as well as catching taupe simply as one species mixed in amongst a range of others on any given day they can also be specifically targeted. Am I right then in thinking that there are areas of ground that tend to favour better numbers of taupe for those parties just wanting to run out the bigger baits at the expense of everything else and could it be worth anglers specialising in that way if that's what they wanted to do? Yes, they do tend to sort of gather in different um, locations. I mean, there's quite a few marks that they do turn up on, but uh, you tend to get them more on the sort of reefy areas of the bay rather than the uh, the muddy or the, the sandy sort of bottom. However, occasionally you do get them in numbers um, around sort of sandy deep um, sort of troughs as well. But more generally speaking, you would prefer it then if the taupe and bream were sold together as a same trip combination package. From June onwards, when the bream starts showing up, you do actually you can run the trip for the both fish at the same time, um, as they do tend to be on sort of the same location here. Yeah? So um, St Patrick's Causeway, which is like 12 miles away from Portelli, uh, is quite renowned for having sort of big numbers of black bream, and it's also a place where you do catch good numbers of taupe as well. Yeah, I fished the causeway on a number of occasions for bream and have never gone home disappointed. In fact, on the first occasion I had my wife Dawn with me who'd never really fished before and she wanted to have a go too. So I set her up with three small hooks on short droppers and pretty much left her to it. I'm not sure how many bream we ended up with between us that day. As you might expect, 
The more experienced lads caught several times as many as she did, and she still boated well over 40 fish. So a lot of bream were about that day. But there are also days when they are definitely more finicky and difficult to catch. All things considered then, what do you find is the most successful approach? Um, there's various tactics really. You get some skippers will uh, will fish for them on the drift using a float, or they can drift fish um, using different types of traces drifting over the reef. We tend to, because the cause is quite a narrow strip of reef, we tend to fish on the anchor using again various types of traces but predominantly small hooks fished um, about six six inches off the bottom up to maybe four foot off the bottom again you can get away with using things that are already made up like shrimp rigs um, which are then baited with little tiny strips of either squid or mackerel one of my most interesting breeming days out on the causeway is remembered not so much for the numbers of fish we caught as the way in which we caught them Things kicked off at anchor with small humps on light droppers above the lead, in the usual way. Then as the tide started to slacken and the bites died away, a rubby dubby bag filled with boiled rice was put over at the surface. As there was still a little bit of run left, we changed the slider float rigs, trotting the baits down to where the slowly falling rice was gathering up the fish. It soon became real edge of the seat stuff trying to control your reflexes every time the float started to bob. We do a similar thing up in Loose Bay with the tote when they start going off the feed towards slack water, though obviously not chumming them with boiled rice. But with both the bream and the tote likely to be in a feeding mood at the same time, and very often in the same area, is it then an either or approach for the whole party on the day, or can some fish for the bream while others target the tope? We, we do tend to actually fish for them at the same time. Um, we get like a bit of order going on the boat that if um, obviously if someone gets a tope run then uh, people fishing for the bream need to sort of wind in and vice versa. Sometimes at certain days when you've got to stay to the tide you can actually fish for maybe the bream in the morning and then it works out that you can fish for the tope in the afternoon. Quite often you, you've just got to sort of try and see what's feeding at the time when you get there you know and uh, like I say it sometimes involves fishing for the both species at the same time. If there's not too many tope around it's not usually a problem you know. If you do get big numbers of tope um, around then obviously this makes it impossible um, you've got to just concentrate on the tope then and uh, maybe you know perhaps switch over to bream fishing afterwards. Bream and tope then are the two dominant regular target species when anchoring over the causeway but surely these are not going to be the only species attracted to what is in effect an oasis in the desert for rough ground species. So what other species do you regularly, and possibly not so regularly, pick up here when you visit? The causeway um, holds quite a lot of species, different species of uh, fish really. You've got um, all the tiny little species like the blennies and the gobies and your shannies and, and that kind of stuff, scorpion fish. We get quite good numbers of um, the greater weaver down on the causeway, which is, um, I don't know, you'd call it quite a specialised uh, a species. Yeah, you, like I say, you uh, you do get the greater weaver down there in quite big numbers, which is uh, you know uh, quite strange in these uh, in these waters. Then we do occasionally come across things like triggerfish as well. Uh, we've seen a few red mullets around over the years. However, the last couple of years we don't seem to have had any um, red mullet or uh, big numbers of triggerfish. We've had one or two maybe over the last couple of years, but maybe. Four years ago, five years ago, you'd see quite a big number of triggerfish not being caught in the area. Cardigan Bay is actually one of the biggest producers of greater weavers in the country. 
I remember on many occasions when fishing out of Aberystwyth just down the course with Dave Taylor that if you let your mackerel feathers stray too close to the bottom they would come back up sometimes with double and even treble weaver hits. The British record for the greater weaver is just short of £2.3 ounces, so they are potentially quite big fish and both Welsh records do come from nearby Aberystwyth. Funnily enough, the French love eating the things, though I suppose that's not much of a culinary recommendation. Anyway, with that in mind, I took a couple home one day and they weren't actually that bad, though really there isn't that much on them to eat. Have you ever tried eating the things yourself? Yeah, I have. I've um, taken them home on several occasions. Um, the only thing is with Greater Weaver, I think it's the same as Gurnard. Sometimes you can hit them and they've got a lot of worm in them, yeah? You've got to be a little bit careful. But uh, yeah, I mean, they are a, a good eating fish. Um, they do taste quite nice. It's just uh, there's, there's not a great deal of meat on them, really. So sometimes it just doesn't seem to be worth all the hassle and the uh, the uh, danger you put yourself in trying to, trying to sort of, uh, you know, kill them and prepare them, really, yeah? Actually, familiarisation with the two weaver species would be no bad thing for anglers fishing out of Patheli, because not only can you get good numbers of the greater weavers on the causeway, but you get equally high numbers of the smaller lesser weavers when drifting the sandbanks, particularly when using things like sabiki rigs hard on the bottom, looking for sand eels to use for the bass. Not so much a case of knowing the difference between the two species as recognising them for what they are, and not grabbing hold thinking you have a small whiting or something similar and getting yourself stung in the process. When in doubt, prod the fish's dorsal fin. If it's a weaver, it will usually stand it up letting you see that it's black in colour and dangerous, and should be avoided at all costs, along with further venom spines on the gill covers. And speaking of similar species which anglers sometimes like to avoid, well one of them at least, you mentioned when we were chatting earlier, in common with a lot of other areas in Wales, lesser spotted dogfish and bullhuss numbers appear to be on the increase. An upsurge which people locally have linked to an increase in whelk fishing in the area. Can you explain a little more about the possible link between the two? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, talking to the local fishermen and, and uh, you know, how history has sort of changed with the, the sort of numbers of different fish and, you know, a lot of the uh, commercial fishermen tend to uh, put it down to the, the whelk fishing that's taken place in Cardigan Bay over the last few years. Um, you know, as soon as the uh, the whelks were taken, there was nothing, no sort of natural uh, predator to, to feed on the dogfish um, sacks, you know, the eggs. So um, there was a big boom in the in the dogfish numbers um, about five six years ago in Cardigan Bay, uh, which, like I say, you know the, the commercial guys have put it down to the uh, the whelks that have been taken out of the bay. Yeah? So it seems like a little uh, balance imbalance in nature has taken place there. So how does the seasonality of the reef fishing fit into your charter fishing calendar? The reef fishing. Um, it basically starts off about May time on the reefs. Around the sort of reefs of Bardsey Island you can get things like pollock and coalfish coddling coming in May time and, um, and then they fish you know quite well all the way through the summer really until about October. It depends again on the weather you know what the sea sort of temperatures have been like but uh, yeah they normally fish quite well until probably the end of October into November sometimes. You mentioned to me earlier that you also have quite a number of inner and coastal reefs to go at too. What kind of species mix can anglers expect to find over these? 
the reefs that are close to Buckelly, they tend to fish all right through May and June, but then as soon as the uh, the big holiday seasons start, you get a lot of small boat owners coming out to the area then, and uh, they tend to target these reefs, you know, and uh, they fish them quite heavily through these uh, holiday periods, and uh, unfortunately, you know, it tends to wipe a lot of the fish out then, yeah, so it's, uh, it's not really uh, viable to fish them until maybe later on in the year again, sometime September, October time around St Tidwell's and that, you start seeing a few pollock and grass and stuff turning up again but they tend not to be that good through the sort of summer periods July and August. My experience of arranging trips out from Patheli is that the bigger tides, say 26 feet and above, are kept exclusively for either the causeway or some other aspect of inshore fishing, with the smaller tides, weather permitting that is, earmarked for the offshore wrecks. That's what we do tend to do. How, you know, however, if you're fishing around Bardsey Island, I mean, even on the you know the small tides, they do produce quite well as long as you get to the right areas at the right state of tide. You know, but yeah, it's because of. Um, like you say, you're trying to, to vary the fishing, if you like, get people down to, to do different types of fishing. It does tend to be quite a good balance, really, to fish the wrecks on the uh, on the smaller tides and, like you say, the reefs on the bigger tides. The the, big, the reefs do tend to fish better as well. The, the reefs like the Causeway for the Bream and the Tug do tend to sort of fish better on the bigger tides. Looking at the Admiralty chart, two things strike you immediately about the wrecks off the end of the Lynn Peninsula. The first is the depth of water they have over them. The second is how they're scattered over such a small area, suggesting that something more than mere chance has led to them being there. Is there a particular reason why they are clustered in this way? Yeah, I mean, most of them are um, relics from uh, World War One when they were, uh, you know, it was a shipping lane coming up uh, from the south up into um, the, the Irish Sea, then going down into Liverpool and obviously uh, around the top uh, north coast of Ireland, yeah? So if you have a look on the charts, you can see there's a sort of a trail, really, that follows, uh, you know, the whole shipping route. You know, the, the story goes that the, uh, the U-boats used to come into the uh, Irish Sea, you know, in the First World War, sit on the bottom in the uh, deeper water. And then obviously when they heard shipping sort of coming through the Irish Sea, they'd come up and uh, torpedo them, you know, so um, obviously it's left a trail of uh, wrecks in the shipping channel. Obviously, bad news for the sailors who were on them, but good news for anglers almost a hundred years on, because presumably, if for some reason one particular wreck isn't fishing especially well, it won't take too much out of the day to nip over to another, or maybe even try a few more, until a good concentration of fish is found. So how many wrecks could you realistically fish in a typical day without eating too much into the potential fishing time? Um, it varies, you know, I mean, the wrecks we fish, uh, you know, we try not to go further than about, say, 50 miles from ports, otherwise you're just travelling all day, but um, in a typical sort of wrecking day you can cover up to sort of five or six wrecks, yeah? Quite often, you know, you, you've fished maybe a few wrecks over the, the previous weeks and you know which ones fish better than others and, and you try and sort of balance it out that you not completely wiping out all the fish in one go on a wreck so you tend to try and sort of sniff around the other wrecks as well and see what's going on so it, it works quite well because there are you know like you say big numbers of wrecks there you can actually uh, usually have a, a, a reasonably good day's fishing you know. And what sort of range of water depths are we talking about here? They vary, the shallowest ones um, are usually in around about 65 to 70 metres of water and then the deepest ones are in about 120 metres I'd say. So I'd say the average depth is about probably 80 to 85 metres, that is uh, you know, where you find most of the wrecks I would have thought. And presumably there can be a lot of run out there too. 
hence trying to earmark the wrecking trips for the smaller tides. Yes, um, like you said before, it's, uh, it's mostly on the small, very small, uh, neap tides that we go and fish these. I mean, I have got out there on, on sort of spring tides before, because people have been desperate to get out on them. You know, if they've been blown off on a couple of trips, um, we've actually gone out on bigger tides and they've, they've produced fish, but, you know, you're limited then to the amount of time that you can actually spend on them. The days that you can actually do that is sometimes you can uh, maybe go out and, and fish around sort of slack water for the morning into the sort of early afternoon and then maybe come back into the bay then and, and finish the day off fishing for tote just to sort of to fill the day really with, uh, with decent fishing which sometimes works very well. Quite a few years ago now we put the dinghy in from Nethin and sailed down off the lane to fish the wreck of the Aronsa on the biggish tide and by the time we were getting our rubber sand eels down to the bottom it was gone from the sounder screen because we were simply drifting along too fast. We were using an old Nanstar back then Chart plotters, unfortunately, were still some years away in the future. We hadn't bothered to buoy the wreck either, so it wasn't easy to calculate a good drift line and drop in early enough to have the lures in place, ready for when the wreck started to mark on the sounder screen. Presumably red gills, shads and jellies are the way you approach the fishing out there, with the bulk, if not all of it, being done on the drift. Um, on the wrecks, uh, there's uh, a lot of different um, types of tactics we use. Really, um, you know, using flying collar booms, uh, flowing traces. I mean, technology, I suppose, has got a lot better over the last few years as well as the uh, the artificial lures. You know, I know, a few years ago we used to go and um, try and catch some live launch and around Bardi Island and stuff before going out onto them, and then they used to work quite well. But uh, we're finding now that things like the uh, the sidewinder lures um, and other artificial Artificial eels are working just as well as the, the live um, sand eel really, you know, that that's the mainstay of what we use, but also, you know, the good old sort of jelly worm and red gill tend to do alright as well on the day. We've also got things like ling on the wrecks as well, which we can fish for over slack water. We tend to use either sort of fillets on a flowing trace or you can sort of bait a set of giant hawkeyes up with little strips of mackerel and that, that tends to work quite well for the ling. And these baits then are still put down while you're fishing on the drift. Yeah, you're drifting around over slack water because of the um, the depth of the uh, the wrecks. Um, you haven't really got much time to um, to anchor them when you're doing a normal wrecking trip because it sort of takes 20 minutes, half an hour to set the um, set the anchor up, and you know you just haven't got that much time really when you're uh, when you're actually doing the drifts. Yeah, so you tend to sort of maybe have an hour over slack water of uh, you know bouncing a lead around with uh, with some bait on for the ling. Sometimes you pick up coley and, and cod doing this as well. Yeah. I have to say that deep water wrecking is not my favourite type of fishing, but I have charter boat fished these wrecks on a couple of occasions in the past. The first time we hit the jackpot right from the very first drift with lots of good pollock just out of the side of double figures, the best going around £15, and with a couple of bonus double figure coal fish in there too. But the second time it was a bit more patchy, with not as many fish on any particular wreck and of notably lower average size. We didn't see any cod on either trip, so which, if any, of those two examples would you say is typical of the current state of play? 
The uh, the Pollock range from you know obviously the the small uh, you know two pounders up to twenty pounds uh, potentially. The last couple of years, two or three years, we haven't seen as many big ones being caught. The the size of the fish does seem to have gone slightly less. Um, we're, we're seeing not as many double figure ones now. However, you know most trips we are seeing double figure fish up to sort of twelve, fourteen, fifteen pound. But going back five, six years ago, you used to see a lot of them, you know, fifteen to twenty pound range which just don't seem to be there anymore really. And what about the situation with the coal fish and the cod? The, the coal fish, a good coal fish on the wrecks these days again would be about five or six pound whereas years ago you, you could see you know coal fish up to sort of eight, nine, ten pound quite easily and the cod the same really we used to get you know quite good numbers of cod however the last last year um, we have seen a lot of coddling um, around the reefs and uh, on the wrecks again but they are they do tend to be quite small ones um, we've had a couple around the eight nine pound on the wrecks this year but mostly tend to be two three four five pounds and do you find that these fish can be quite mobile with a sudden absence on any particular wreck not necessarily meaning bad news just a case that for reasons of food availability perhaps the free-swimming species have simply decided to look elsewhere, forcing a similar line of thought onto you. Yeah, and that's that's definitely um, something that, that happens out there on the wrecks. You can, uh, you know, you, you've got sometimes two wrecks side by side, you know, a mile apart, and on one day one one wreck is fishing really well, and uh, the other wreck is, is not fishing well at all. And you go back there the next day, and they're totally opposite. You know, the fish seems to have moved overnight from one wreck to the other. Uh, problem that we do seem to be getting with the uh, the pollock as well is um, that uh, the, the numbers are tending to dwindle a bit. We, I was talking to one of the local fisheries officers uh, last year about it and she seemed to think that a lot of the wrecks down on the south coast are being netted by commercial fishermen now and she thinks this is having an impact on the numbers. So far we've confined the wrecking talk to fishing on the drift throughout the spring, summer and autumn months. But I know you also like to anchor these same wrecks when the weather and the tides are suitable during the winter. So tell us a bit about the thinking behind that particular approach. From sort of November time onwards we uh, we start putting the anchor down on the wrecks because um, obviously there's less pollock and stuff on them than they've moved off. Um, and then we start targeting uh, conger eel. We get quite a few good spur dog around the, uh, the wrecks. Um, and occasionally in the winter as well you can pick off cod and coley and you still do get the odd pollock uh, sort of lingering around as well. What we have found as well this last couple of years is there's been um, quite good numbers of taupe on the wrecks in the winter um, which is a, you know, quite a good sign as well. Back in the 1980s Cardigan Bay was also renowned for its poor beagle shark fishing and while this is probably something confined to the history books that isn't to say that there won't still be a few knocking about. So have you, or any of the other Patheli boats, had any positive shark encounters out over any of these wrecks in recent times? We've had quite a few uh, poor beagles taking pollock on the uh, normal wrecking trips, but uh, sod's law is when we go out there and target them, they don't seem to make an appearance, a bit like the bass fishing really, <laughs> when we're doing features. What I'd like for us to do now is turn our attention to Bardsey Island. In relative terms, it is quite a small island lying a couple of miles off the tip of the Lynn Peninsula, separated from it by the infamous Bardsey Sound. A notorious piece of water riddled with fierce tidal activity, some of which at the wrong time, and most definitely in the wrong weather conditions, can make it a particularly scurry place to be. I've fished the area on a couple of occasions from my own boat, having put it in from the beach at Abadaran. 
On one occasion, I remember putting the anchor down over Devil's Ridge, which I very quickly found out was not the best idea I'd ever had. Huge bulges of water like depth charges going off suddenly started erupting underneath the boat. The problem was that by that stage the run was so hard that I couldn't get the anchor back until the tide had died away, and every fish I hooked smashed me up. Not so much because of the size, but the sheer power of the tide also working in their favour. On the other hand, in the right boat, and under the right conditions, like today, it can be an excellent place to fish, and a very good extra weapon to have in your armoury. Yeah, I mean, you need to keep an eye on things, keep an eye on the weather, keep an eye on the tide, you know, just be aware that sometimes the uh, the tide can change direction if you've got strong winds, you know, wind against tide, you can sort of boil the water up, bring uh, upwellings, you know, quite high waves, so you've got to be a little bit careful, just, you know, it's getting to understand the place and know, you know, where you can fish at the certain times, really, um, so it's just local knowledge, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful. If you do come here on, on small boats, you're better off sort of asking the uh, some of the local fishermen if you can and uh, get hold of them first, you know, getting a bit of uh, local knowledge really before you venture out there. But well worth a visit when conditions are right. Yeah, you've got, um, you know, lots of different species around Bardsey Island itself. It's um, it's quite a fascinating place to fish really. You can target different species in different places on the actual island itself. The majority of fish here are pollock or coalfish. Uh, you get a few codling. Then you've got all different types of wrasses. You get things like ling turning up taupe, conger eel, bullus. So you've got like a whole array of fish here really, you know. What about the surrounding banks and gullies deposited or scoured out by all this tidal activity? Is there anything we should also know about that? Yeah, I mean, around Bardsey you've got various um, sandbanks and stuff around the area and uh, because, you know, the island, um, you've basically got big sort of uh, masses of water, if you like, coming from th from the depths and then they're funnelling sort of through um, through narrow openings, you know, they, the, the tide obviously picks up really strong in places here and then, like you say, the sandbanks, again, come up from, from quite deep depths and then they you get a lot of uh, tide running over them, you know, which again causes sort of overfalls, etc. So again, you've got to be careful you don't get caught out, you know, with the with the weather and the, the tides, really. And again, it's just being aware, you know, trying to read up as much as you can on the area before you actually, uh, before you get there. So predominantly, a drift fishing rather than an anchoring area. Um, in the conditions, I mean, uh, I think we had this little chat earlier about, you know, using um, sort of disposable anchors, you know, like grapples and things that you can ditch quite quickly in a hurry. Um, you've always got to be in a position, I think, if you do come around bad, so you know that you can, you know, just cut off if you need to, if the tide starts picking up and you get your anchor stuck, you know, you don't want to be uh, sort of trying to fight to get your anchor up, really, you know. Um, a lot of people that fish around here use sort of polyprop rope, you know, that they could easily cut off if, uh, if they need to ditch it, which is not too expensive to lose, you know. But again, you know, it's just a lot of common sense, I think, when you come to places like Bardsey Island. I know that some of the sandbanks in the Bardsey area can play a crucial role in your plans for the summer and autumn period. What are you looking for your anglers to be catching then? If you're fishing over the sandbanks, you know, we target species like bass, uh, turbot, brill, 
you occasionally get things like gurnards, all types of gurnards, grey gurnards, red gurnards, tub gurnards. You used to see a few years ago, um, you know, blonde rays and that, but you know, you don't see so many of these days. I think the the uh, the trawlers have uh, have seen to them. Um, they've mostly wiped the ray species out on the banks around here, um, and the flatfish as well. You know, we used to get quite a lot of turbot and brill around years ago, but you know, you're lucky if you see the odd one on a trip now. But you do, you know, obviously you still get the shoals of um, bass that sort of migrate from distances and they come over and, and feed on the sand deal that are over the banks as well. And what would you suggest in the way of tackle and tactics to get the best out of a barge area bank fishing trip? You've got various tactics, mainly we use a flowing trace, we use uh, short booms like the zip sliders where you, you really need to be on braided line to get the most out of the bass fishing here so you can feel what's going on at the other end of the uh, of the rod. We tend to use zip sliders and 6 foot to 7 foot traces with fluorocarbon, size 2030 hook and we uh, we tend to use live sand deal if we can get hold of them, however you know we have had success on, on frozen sand deal and artificial eels as well you know again like the sidewinder seems to be quite a good um, alternative with the obvious degree of both commercial as well as angler interest in bass has the conservation message reached the people who book bank fishing trips on your board or is there still a tendency to want to take everything before the commercials clean them up sometimes you can hit you know big shoals of bass and uh, we encourage the anglers as much as possible not to keep too many so i think it's something that we're going to have to look at for the future because uh, again you know the, the commercial guys have had quite a big impact on uh, on the numbers of bass that are in the area so it is an important thing that we need to look at for the future really. Looking back at what we've discussed so far, the Thelly, like most of the charter fishing ports, will have seen changes not only in numbers of fish but also in species mix and I'm sure that some of that will have occurred while you've been working in the area. Raisin flatfish you mentioned briefly is two examples of fish that have declined and I'm sure that not only here but everywhere around the country other species will be less numerous than they once were. Can you then give us a flavour of how the species balance throughout your fishing range has changed and what further changes in your opinion might be in the pipeline for the future? I can't really say there's anything that's... Uh, I mean, the, the taupe fishing is still quite good, you know. The bream fishing, people can usually catch, you know, enough bream to make it worthwhile coming down. And uh, the bass fishing the same. I mean, the, the fishing around the reefs of Bardsey um, still still seems to be quite good. It's, it's quite sustainable, as long as, again, people sort of... Uh, you know, be careful with the size of fish that they're taking home. Stick to the uh, the minimum sizes and a bit more usually if we can, and try and put as many fish back as possible. Yeah, which just protects it for the future, really. So, for anyone thinking of booking a trip aboard Half Halid or Patheli generally, taking the year-long view, what would be your recommendations in terms of seasonality, tide choice, and expectation? Well, I, th I think, you know, a lot of anglers like to go out fishing and they like trying for different species. I mean, it's it's good in this area because you have got a quite a diversity to the to the fishing here. Early on, you can go and fish general fishing trips in the bay for, like you say, the dabs and the whiting, which just makes a, a nice day out. Then you've got the bull hus, which starts up in March, like I said, so that gives you a bit of a, a, a change from the dabs and the whiting. And then you move on, then as the year goes on, you know, you start targeting the taupe in May, then you've got the bream in June, you start fishing the wrecks as well from sort of the mid-May onwards so you've got taupe and bream fishing and wreck fishing through May, June and July and August um, 
and, and some bass fishing as well so that, that sort of fills all your summer months up and goes right through into the autumn you know so it's, uh, it's, it's quite a good sort of variation of fishing from Pusheli, um which is why I, I bought my boat here to, to begin with really. All you need then is a bit of fine settled weather. When we were sailing along the coast earlier the sea was like a mirror as you would expect with a northerly earth stream. Obviously venues differ though most are affected to some degree by unfavourable conditions whatever those might be. So within what range of wind directions and speeds can you still get some fishing done, even though it might not be the first option either of yourself or the anglers on board? And that sort of swings around the boats really, if you, obviously if you're fishing on the uh, on the north coast of the Seine, like places like Carnarvon and Rill, um, you're going to be hit by the northerlies, whereas we get the... Uh, we get the shelter, but um, unfortunately, you know, you can't really, you know, with the bookings we take, you can't really plan it last minute like that. You know, you've, you've got a booking um, on a certain day, the, the weather's got to be nice that day, you know. Um, like you say, if the wind's blowing from the north, northwest, northeast, you know, we get a bit more shelter, so you can tend to fish in, uh, you know, stronger winds than you would on the, would do on the north side of the coast, yeah, and uh, vice versa, you know. When we get the southerlies, it hits us straight in, so uh, the guys up in uh, on the north side tend to benefit from those winds, yeah. You know, over the last few years, I, I remember going back going back years ago now to when I was a child you tended to get a lot of southerlies southwesterlies through the summer and then you used to be hit by northerlies through the winter but now it seems to be uh, all over the place you know the wind swings from one direction to the other all the way through the year really. And if people decided to take alternative options due to weather restrictions on getting to where they originally wanted to go, what sort of fishing can they expect? It depends what we're doing. If we're wrecking, you know, and the lads are, uh, you know, are all geared up for wrecking, and uh, let's say the wind's blowing quite strong from the north, where you'd get, you know, decent shelter. I mean, we we usually give people an option, you know, whether they can uh, they want to go taupe and bream fishing or something instead, because let's say you can get quite big numbers of taupe and that on the inshore sort of marks, you know, um, quite close in. To the to the rocks and that, um, where you can get a bit of shelter. But um, obviously, you know, we can't force this on the customers. Really, it's up to them whether they want to take an alternative or whether they want to just knock it on the head until the next trip. I mean, most of my customers are, are quite good. You know, they will sort of uh, tend to try and support you as well by doing alternatives rather than cancelling. You know. And for anyone listening in, either wanting to place a booking or simply find out more about your operations along the upper edge of Cardigan Bay. Presumably, you have a website they can log on to. I have, yeah. I mean, it, it does sort of tell you a bit about the uh, the different species and what you can catch and when you can catch them on the website, yeah. Um, but I'm always open to uh, telephone calls if people want to phone me up and ask me for a bit of information. Always willing to help, really. Do you want to quote the website? Yeah, it's northwalesfishingcharter.com. As you could probably hear with the boat noise in the background, not the ideal sea conditions, unfortunately which has been something of a recurring theme whenever I've taken the recording equipment down to Wales during 2010. That said, we still saw plenty of fish across a wide range of species, with some nice pollock mixed in amongst them, and encouragingly, plenty of small cod, which again has become something of a recurring theme over the past few months, and hopefully bodes well for the winter fishing all along the Irish Sea coast. My thanks then to Jason Owen, both for the trip and for sharing his local knowledge with us.